Um, so a few weeks ago, what I did was I started this new series called Ingredients. And for those of you who do know how to cook or bake, um, from those of us who can't, we thank God for you. And we pray blessings on you. Um, I think, though, even if we can't cook or if we don't know what this process is really like, we all know that there are some main ingredients, right? These dishes that we want to cook have certain things that have to go in them. And just as Sydney was showing us here in, in this video clip, like you can use them or not. And if you don't use them, then it's not going to be as good unless you use them all, right? So what I've been doing is I've been illustrating that with the church. And at this church, we have five main ingredients, Okay, there are five purposes, there are five principles that we need to live into, okay? And just like cooking and just like baking, you could try to make this church on one or two or four, but it's not going to be as good unless we use all five of these ingredients. These five ingredients create this recipe for an amazing church. And as we get closer and closer to the new worship space, I was like, man, this would be a great time every year some of y'all like these these kind of sound familiar right like I've, I've heard these before that's good i hope that you do i hope that this gets stuck in your in your memory because this is what we're all about so every year i try to preach on this and so this year as we're moving into our new worship space i was like man this would be a great time to talk about these five ingredients that make a great church each one's important each one needs to be mixed in and if we're faithful to using these ingredients and if we're willing to work this recipe then god's going to do great things not just with our church, but in our own lives. Okay, so these are the keys to success, not just for the church in general, but for us as we live out being the church. So what are the five ingredients? Here's the five ingredients. And we get these from the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we put that as you can't do life alone. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, we're going to summarize that as found people find people. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, we summarize that as save people, serve people. And then when Jesus tells us to go out to make new disciples and to teach them to obey my commands, we're going to put it this way, growing people change. And then Jesus says the first and greatest commandment is to worship the Lord your God with all your heart. And we're going to say worship is a lifestyle. It's not something we just do on Sundays. It's an act that we are living out each and every day that we're worshiping our God. So this is it. This right here. Okay, like I said, this promises success for our church, but also for us as we grow the kingdom of God. So two weeks ago, what we did was we started this with, you can't do life alone. And I said, you know what? You were made to be a part of God's family. God has a purpose for you. He wants you to adopt you in his family. And the way that that happens is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit moves in to our heart and transforms us, we become a part of God's eternal family. But while you're here, God expects you to be a part of a church family, okay, to be with other believers, because you and I both have the same little, little thing, little, little spark that God put in us that made us to be in community. We weren't meant to do life alone. You can't do life alone. You're meant to be with God, and you're meant to be a part of a church family. And then last week, we talked about the next one, found people, find people, and we, we said this comes from the Great Commission when Jesus tells his disciples to go and make other disciples, right? In other words... Get out there and tell people about me, Jesus is saying. Get out there and tell them the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's what we are about. We've been found. We know how transformative that is. So then, therefore, we need to go out and find other people and bring them to Christ. And then today, we're going to focus on this value. Save people, serve people. That's what we do. 
And that video that I showed is great for two reasons. One is because it showed all the ingredients that Sydney was making there um, in that omelet. But number two is why she was doing it. She was doing it to cook something special for her friend at work. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on serving, serving other people and loving them well. Loving them enough to, to go beyond our comfort zone to help them. And this value, this comes from the second part of the Great Commandment. So let's review the Great Commandment this morning, just in case we have some people that are new here or somebody online that's brand new and they're, they're not sure what the Great Commandment is. In a nutshell, Jesus was asked a question, and y'all remember, I, I teach from this all the time. Somebody asked him, if you could summarize everything in the Bible, like all the rules, everything, Jesus, if you could just sum it all up for me, what would you say is the most important thing, right? And Jesus says two things. He says, love God. And then he said, the second thing is linked to the first thing. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's interesting about this conversation that Jesus is having with this guy in front of this group of people is that this guy keeps the conversation going. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not. When you go home and you want to read it, you'll see that when Jesus, he continues to ask Jesus questions. And the next follow-up question that he's having in front of all these people is he asked Jesus, he says, well, who is my neighbor then? I, I, I get that. Like, I know I'm supposed to love God, of course. Like that's, I, of course. Like, I expect you to say that. But when you tell me to love others, like, who then is my neighbor? And here's the deal. When he said this, Jesus knew what he was getting at. He, he knew basically what this guy was saying. And in his heart, what this guy was saying is, who do I have to love? Like, who is it necessarily important that I love and serve? Like, this guy is looking, which is what we all do. I mean, put most people in this situation. What we're going to look is for the bare minimum just to squeak by, right? Like, do I really have to love every? Like, who is my neighbor? Like, does that mean everybody? Or is it just a certain set of people? Just this group or this group? Just the church people? Because let's be honest. I mean, some people are easier to love than others, Right? You know who I'm talking about. Don't look at him right now. Don't make it more awkward, okay? Don't just, you, you know, we all know who you're, you know, okay. Some people are easier to love than others. But the point Jesus is trying to make here with this whole love your neighbor is to love freely, every, without limits. So that's what it's all about. And Jesus, I think, if I were Jesus looking at this guy, he, I, I would probably say, well, if you got to ask me who your neighbor is, well, then you're a bad neighbor. Like, you're a bad neighbor, right? But Jesus is like, he's, he's not like us, thank goodness. So Jesus looks at this conversation and is like, well, let me teach you a little bit. And let me tell you who, who is your neighbor. And Jesus tells one of his most famous stories. We had a guest speaker a little while back. He, he shared this story. I'm going to share it again. We find this story in Luke chapter 10. And I'll summarize this for us. Um, Jesus basically says there's this guy. This guy is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. And there's this dangerous stretch of road in Israel. Now, I've been in Israel. I've been to this stretch of road. And while we're talking about Israel, please be in prayer for Israel. And please be in prayer for that region. I know that you're praying for them with me each and every day. But I've been in this section. I've seen this road or what was considered to be that road. And it's kind of like a valley and there's some cutouts and there's some areas where people could hide along the way and they would get robbed. It's a 17-mile stretch. A lot can go wrong in those 17 miles. 
There's a lot of bad people in this area. And this guy happened to be traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he gets beaten up. He gets robbed. And we've kind of watered this down. Like, we don't want to think how bad this is, but this was really bad. Like, he was, he was on the brink of death. He's lying in the middle of the road. And while Jesus is telling the story, he, he kind of he, he winks. He says, but he, he's like, but don't worry, because there were some people that were also traveling, and they're coming up. So let me tell you about these two other people, and that's, that's where we get the priest. And so Jesus says this. He says, by chance, just by chance, a priest came along. And if this guy had any consciousness at all, he's probably looking out of his one good eye, and he's like, oh, thank goodness, a holy man, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be okay. But look what happened. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, I'm not sure what was going through the mind of the priest. I'm not sure why he would do this. Maybe he had some business to get to. Maybe his heart was hard. But what strikes me about this it's how he goes out of his way. He goes out of his way and he says he's, he crosses over to the other side to avoid. And you know what this says to me? What this shows me is that sometimes, sometimes we avoid our neighbors, don't we? Think about that for a minute. Those, those people that you avoid... At work, at school, wherever. You're just like, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not so sure about being, just not sure about going this route. You see, I believe that God puts neighbors in front of us so that we can serve them, not avoid them. And sure, they may be an outcast, serve them. They may be in their, your family and they drive you crazy and you're not really looking forward to the holidays that are coming up, right? Serve them. They, they may be in your neighborhood. They may actually be a bad neighbor in your neighborhood. Serve them. They, they may be at work and you go out of your way sometimes to avoid their cubicle. You want to change that relationship? You want something to change in your heart? You look for ways to serve them, right? And you know what? Maybe it will cost you something. Maybe it'll be difficult. Really doesn't matter. Really, the question is, are you going to avoid or are you going to serve? Because it's pretty simple when you get down to it. Save people. What we do is we serve people. That's what Jesus expects. That's what we're eventually going to get to in this story. But the first one is a good reminder of how much and how often I think that we can all relate to this. We like to put ourselves above the priest sometimes. I would never do. We avoid a lot. And maybe we shouldn't. Well, let's continue the story because the preacher went by, but never fear, never fear. Here comes a Levite or a temple assistant or a church worker. Okay, here, here we go. Here's, here's the next person. A temple assistant walked over and he looked at this guy lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Okay, so we know who a priest is. What, what about this temple assistant, this Levite? A Levite was someone who, on behalf of God, was in charge of making sure all the details at church were done properly. These were the guys that did the sacrifices in church to make sure the atonement was made for sin. Now, now we understand as uh, followers of Christ that Jesus was the atonement for our sins, that he paid the price. Back then, you know, these guys would offer the sacrifice that would cleanse people. So ritual purity was a big deal within the temple and within these workers. So back to this Levite, he looks at this guy... And he's probably thinking to himself, if this guy is dead, I might put myself in a bad situation. 
Because one of the rules of being a Levite, one of the rules in the Jewish faith uh, period was not touching dead bodies. If you did, that makes you ritualistically unclean. Now, for a Levite worker, this is a problem. Because then that means that he's got to be in seven days of isolation out of church. He's not going to be able to do his duties. So here's what it boils down to. This Levite thought that God was more interested in his religious duties than helping his neighbor. Put it, put it this way. The Levite's more interested in doing church rather than actually being the church. And this seems to be a common theme in Scripture that Jesus comes against. You know, you've heard it said this, I'm going to tell you this. Like, you, you act this way, but I'm going to tell you what you need to do this way. You know, we have a lot of these stories where, where you think this is what it means to, to, to act like you're at church, but this is what it means to actually be the church. And what gets me about this guy, too, is that he looks at him like he really sees him. Like the Levite really sees this guy that needs help, but he just keeps going. And for me, I wonder if this kind of teaches me that we're not always good at really seeing people. Like really, see, we're good at seeing them, but sometimes we just look right past them. We look through them. The Levite walks up to him, sees him, but just passes by. It doesn't really affect him. It doesn't really penetrate his heart. Which makes me wonder, like, what do they see when they see this guy lying on the road? Like, what are they seeing? You know, when I read this story, I notice that Jesus doesn't really say much about this traveler. We don't really understand if this guy really deserved the beating or not. Now, let me preface that. What do I mean by that? Well, we assume that he didn't deserve to get robbed, but... What if this was like a rival drug deal gone bad, right? What if, what if he was a robber, robbed somebody else, they came and robbed him back? Like, what if he was one that stole from someone else and then got stolen? You know, what if? And the reason, maybe the reason Jesus doesn't mention anything about this guy is because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter why it happened. It doesn't matter how it happened. What matters is that this is my neighbor and I see him. You see, I can't help but wonder if these two that pass by him, they see him as a loser. They see him as somebody that deserved it. And the reason I say that is because how many times do we do the same thing? How, how easy is it for us to look, see someone, but look right past them? Because we feel like they should have known better. Or they put themselves in this situation. You know, we, we see them. We often look at people in light of where they are and not in light of who they are. Like they are a child of God. That's who they are. Now, contrast this, the priest and the Levite. Now, contrast this with how Jesus saw people, right? When he went into towns and villages teaching and healing everybody, it says, it says this in Matthew 9. Now, this is another, this is another uh, story, but he says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. When he looked at people, he had compassion on them. He, he didn't focus on where they were in life. He, he didn't focus on what got them to this point, what failures they had or anything. He forgave them for all of that. He was focused on who they were within the family of God. These are God's children. I got to serve them. Got to have compassion on them. 
In fact, the, the, the Greek word for compassion in this is splonknizomai. Okay? Splonknizomai. Now, I want you to say that with me on the count of three. Are you ready? We're going to practice our Greek together. Splonknizomai. You ready? One, two, three. Splonknizomai. Now, when you say it this next time, we're going to do it again because that was terrible. Y'all did not do a good job. Okay? We're going to do this again, but this time, I want you to dig deep. You see me spit? I want you to dig deep, and I want you to really get into it and get that splunk, okay? And I want you to get a little spit in there, okay? Aim for the person's back head in front of you. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Splunk, nizomai. Okay, good. Now wipe off their head if you got any on the back of their hair. Um, the reason for that, there's this real guttural sound when, when you pronounce that word. And the reason for that is because that kind of compassion is comes from the gut. And that's what we're shooting for. That kind of compassion that is deep, rooted in you, that comes out of you, that moves you. In fact, Jesus has a twist at the end of the story. Let's go back to the Good Samaritan. And this is how he finishes the story. He says, then a despised Samaritan. We'll get to this point in just a minute. This, this is a guy that you would not use as an example back in Jesus' day. But then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt splunknizomai for him. Okay? He was, <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> he was moved out of his gut for this guy. That's the point. His compassion moved him. To do something out of his comfort level, because this was not a comforting thing for Samaritan to help in this situation. The Samaritans were despised. This, these were the people that lived in a certain area of town that you would try to stay away from, that you would avoid at all costs. And yet, this is the guy that's offering. And why? Because he was moved. He was moved out of his comfort zone to do that. You, you know how you can, if you, how you can know if you, if compassion is in your gut or not. It's it's when your compassion is greater than your level of comfort. Okay, when our compassion is greater than our comfort level, that's what we're after. And what's crazy is is that Jesus picks a non-believer, someone outside of the church, someone outside of the normal realm, to illustrate this compassionate move to help someone. Why did he do that? You know, I wonder if the reason Jesus did this is it was his way of saying, don't let the world do a better job of this than the church, than you as my followers. Because we're supposed to be about this. So let's go back to where we started. The reason that Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan is because of the second commandment is to love your neighbor. And the second commandment to love your neighbor is tied to the first commandment of loving God. And here's why. It's because it's very hard to say that you love God without loving your neighbor, right? Right? It's very hard to say that Christ is first in your life if you're not serving or loving others or not willing to. You see, our compassion has to be greater than our comfort level. And our compassion is what pushes us to serve. It all boils down to this. If you say you follow Jesus, you show it in how you love and serve others. Save people, serve people. That's why we say it that way. 
We got to be willing to see our neighbor, see those around us the same way Christ sees them, with compassion, the kind of compassion that's deeply rooted in our gut, not for where they are, but for who they are. So Jesus ends this story with the Good Samaritan by asking the question. He, he asked the guy that brought this up in front of everybody. He says, so then who is the good neighbor? And this guy said, well, the Samaritan. And Jesus said, yes, you're right, of course. So he finishes the story and he says this. He says, now you go and do the same thing. Now you go and do the same. Be that person. Maybe stop asking who's my neighbor and start asking, won't you be my neighbor? Where do you think he got that from? I'm, y'all, y'all are laughing because it is kind of funny. But Mr. Rogers was a priest. He was a priest. This is where he got that from. Won't you be my neighbor? Love, sir. For some reason, I have this desire to put on a cardigan and take off my shoes. But <laughs> I heard a no over here, so I won't do it. Be my neighbor. Real quick. I know. Look, look it's 11.15. I still got plenty of time. Let me give you three points to consider. <laughs> real quick, real quick, real quick. Three things to think about when it comes to being a good neighbor and serving others. Number one, write this down. Everybody online, you can find them on your message notes. Here we go. Serve where you are. Serve where you are. When it comes to being a good neighbor, serve where you are. Ephesians 2.10 is a powerful verse. So Ephesians 2.10 for me real quick. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. God has a plan for your life. He's planned for you to do good things. So with that in mind... I want you to know you don't have to go far to find an opportunity to serve your neighbor. God places opportunities in front of us every single day. It's just that you know what we do? We avoid them or we look straight through them and we don't even focus on them. What if we did? If we did, I think that we would find that there are opportunities every day to serve where we are. Number two, serve with your gifts. Serve with your gifts. Each one of you is a minister. You are a minister. Okay, you are, and here's what I mean by that. Ministry, ministry is just doing what you know how to do, doing what you have been gifted to do, but doing it for others. That's ministry. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him, you have been gifted for ministry, and when you live that out, you're a minister. Look at what um, 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. It says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Everybody's gifted differently. Use them. Use them. We want you to use those gifts here at the Ridge. In fact, when you go on that, when you go on the app and you go to that Sunday serve team, you'll see that we have opportunities for two services to worship early, um, to worship late or serve early, serve late. And you'll see there's a greeting team, there's Ridge Runners teams for the kids area. We need help in the kids area. Carpet squares, leading those little ones to know Jesus Christ. There, there's, my daughter will tell you, there's no, there, there, there is no better place that she'd rather be than sitting on a square with those kids. They have the best time down there. We got worship team. Y'all, we need help with sound. We need help with lights. We need, uh, we've got a great, wait till you see Clay's control room in the new building. It's amazing. It's going to blow your mind. You're going to want to serve in that area when it comes to lights and sound. It is so cool. Uh, safety team. We've got Ridge Student Ministry, and we've got another place. Now, we push you to serve 
for two reasons. One, because you get to help your church family. Yes, absolutely. You get to help here at the Ridge. But number two, when you learn to serve here, it helps us serve better out there, right? Because when I'm doing this on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, whenever, when I learn to serve and put my gifts to use here at the church, then it helps me be more aware of how I can serve out there each and every day. The third thing we got to do is serve joyfully. Serve joyfully. And the reason I say this is from Colossians 3. It says this, work hard and cheerfully at all you do, just as though you're working for the Lord. Cheerfully. This is how we serve. We don't serve for attention, just to draw attention to ourselves, just to post about on Facebook, look what I did this week, you know, those types of things, and see and then check how many times we got likes. That's not why we serve. We don't serve for attention. We don't serve for salvation either. We don't serve that way. Our works can't save us. We know that. We serve because of what Jesus has done for us and because it leads us to serve others because of how he served. He is our example. That's why I serve. And when I do so, I serve with a joyful heart because that makes all the difference. So, how can I serve my neighbor? Serve where you are. There's opportunities. Serve with your gifts. You are gifted. Start here. Move to out there. Number two, number three, be joyful about it. You, you get to do it. Save people. Serve people. We're serious about this because, because we think it's an honor to love God and how we love our neighbor. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you so much that you have gifted each one of us. God, I pray that we wouldn't waste what we've been given. That we wouldn't just be selfish with it and just hold on to it ourselves. But that we would look for ways to serve you. Through to serve you by serving others. You know, that's, that's what you said. You, you said that's, that's how we love you is when we love other people. So that's what we need to be about. So God, stretch us a little bit. Get us out of our comfort zones. Really put ourselves out there being willing to do that. God, help this Ridge, help this Ridge church, this family continue to grow to make an impact on the community. Help each person here to understand just how important they are to you and to their church family. God, bless us as we get ready to move into the new space. God, we pray for all all the prayer concerns, everything that is on our hearts this morning that are weighing heavily. God, I just pray that you would be with each person. Let them feel your presence. God, please be with the conflict in Israel. We pray for protection. We pray for peace. And God, just be with us as we go from here. God, help us to be a great neighbor. We love you so much. We give everything we have to to you, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen and amen.